Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode number 83 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Hope you're having a fantastic week wherever you are. Uh, welcome. If you're just tuning in, feel free to say hello. Let us know where you're from. Uh, if you have any questions for my guest, Brad, who'll be on shortly, uh, feel free to leave them in the comments. And what have we got? We've got one spot left for our Peru adventure. So uh, that's on July the 29th. It's for one week. One spot left for that. So if you have a craving to go to Peru, if you feel a calling to come and join us down there and go on uh, a spiritual journey with us, also do some coaching, reflect on your life, maybe look at your business, uh, we'll be heading up to Machu Picchu on July 29th. And there's a bunch of incredible people along with my friend Adam Quiney, he'll be co-hosting with me. So feel free to drop me a message uh, if you're interested in that and we'll get you uh, all the info you need about that trip. And my guest today is Brad Sugars. Brad has just put out this book, which is called Pulling Profits Out of a Hat. And so we're going to talk to Brad about the book in a minute. But uh, if you want a copy of this book, it's amazing. Brad will tell you all about it in a minute. But if you want a copy of this book, head on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review from the show. And next time we Board will pull the best review and send you a copy of the book. It's a very heavy book. Brad tells me it's like two pounds. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest today. So Brad is the founder of a company called Action Coach. And uh, he started in his early 20s. Today, the company is recognized as the leading global business coaching firm and one of the most awarded franchises in the world. And uh, really excited to welcome Brad to the show. Brad, welcome. Great to have you here. Hi, I'm live. G'day. G'day. <laughs> Not a Kiwi, an Aussie? Yes, definitely an Aussie, mate. The, the, the older, bigger cousins than the yeah. Kiwis. That's yeah, right. that's what you said. You said something very offensive to me before. You said even you admit that we have a weird accent. You know, look, there's a thing about the way you guys say the number six that is just yeah. kind of weird. So yeah, it's, it's everybody. It's very, very fun. But uh, some of the most beautiful parts of the world are in New Zealand and uh, one of my favourite places in the world, Waiheke Island. So oh, man. Definitely yeah. one of my most favourite places in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, I bought uh, some property there a couple of years ago. It's my little hideout when I head over to New Zealand every summer. Love it. We were actually, a buddy of mine and I were just looking at two wineries down there to build, to <laughs> buy. The, yeah. I'm not sure we'd make much profit, though, after the two of us got down there, so that would be a problem. <laughs> yeah, drinking the profits is an issue. I was saying to you uh, before we came on camera, I first was introduced to you when I was a teenager in New Zealand, so I think I was about 16 or 17. I read a very book with a very audacious title called Billionaire in Training, which, mm. uh, you know, for a 17-year-old walking around or sitting on the bus reading that, I think I'm sure looked uh, a little bit strange, but incredibly inspiring book and taught me a lot about the fundamentals of business. I read your book on cash flow, I read your book on assets, and it just really gave me a foundation for entrepreneurship. That I mm -hmm. today. So you've been doing this for a long time. Well, thanks for making me feel old. Uh, yeah, I have been. Uh, you know, 1993, I moved here to the States in 99 and uh, permanently moved the family here in 05. And, uh, Action Coach now has offices in, uh, we just opened in Russia which is, uh, I believe, country number 78 for us. I, I think that's what it is. So, yeah, we're coaching business owners in Egypt, Russia, South Africa, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, China, you name it, pretty much. Uh, I set a goal many years ago of being in 120 countries because McDonald's was in 119. So I said, okay, if I can do one better than McDonald's, I'm doing pretty good. Now I just got to get as many stores as McDonald's. Yeah, get into the real estate business. Mm. Yeah, so... You, from what I can tell, you know, were sort of born an entrepreneur as much as anybody is, or you had that entrepreneurial streak. So where did it all start for you? What was the first business you got into? You know, uh, I've been in business myself, you know, since basically, uh, my dad always tells a story of jokingly at age seven, I sold my Christmas presents to my brothers. He said, you know, that was your first business. <laughs> but uh, no, more so by the time I was 15, I was looking to have my own business. 13, I started employing friends to do the paper route. But I've, I think I've only worked for other people for a total of about three years. Um, and uh, luckily enough, I got some great mentors in there. And luckily enough, I got some really awful mentors in there telling me exactly what not to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah from uh, 15 onwards, I've always had my own business, whether it was a side business or 
you know, something I did part-time or whether it was full-time was sort of the thing. What do you think it is? I mean, often people say, you know, the, the debate, can you, you know, are you a born entrepreneur or can it be taught? What, what do you think about that, someone that was doing it since they were a teenager? You know, I was very lucky. At age 16, I won the local Rotary Club Youth Leadership Award, which they sent me away for a week-long training uh, on how to be a leader, how to be uh, successful, all that sort of stuff. And at 16 years of age, learning that, like you said, reading Billionaire and Training at 17, 17 is an amazingly good age to read a book like that, you know, because it just changes your direction in life. You start focusing. I just wrote another book called The Wealth Coach, uh, which I published about a year and a half ago, which has been a great seller for parents trying to teach their kids money. Um, it was interesting when I was writing the book about halfway through, I gave it to one of my buddies and said, hey, read this and tell me what you think. It's to help you teach your kids about money. And he's reading it. He comes out and he says, Brad, I don't know most of this stuff. So you've got to rewrite the book so I can understand it so then I can teach my kids. So it was kind of funny that I had to write the book from both angles, parents and kids learning together uh, about money. People never study the subject of money. And that's always weird to me. You know, I was, I guess I was lucky that I won that award. But to answer your question, no, I don't think you're a born entrepreneur. I think uh, everyone can be an entrepreneur and everyone can learn it. It's like leadership like sales, like anything, you know, you might have a natural enjoyment of a thing and that, you know, that leads you to more study of it. But I don't believe that uh, anyone is a born entrepreneur. I think that you, you sort of fall into it. For me, 13 years old is when it really happened because I remember as a kid, we moved from Darwin in Australia to Adelaide in Australia. And in Darwin, it was shorts and a pair of pair of flip-flops, thongs, as, as the Aussies call them. And uh, when I moved to Adelaide, it's like jeans and all of this sort of stuff. So I was the weird kid and I didn't have the right jeans. And I just said to, after I got in trouble for beating some kid at school from my mom and the principal, they were, I was like, it's because of these jeans, mom. You know, if I had cool jeans, I wouldn't. As a 13-year-old, that's the logic. You know, as a 13-year-old, that's genius. So I decided I was going to be rich at age 13 and, and I decided to get a job and start making money at 13 because I decided I always wanted to have enough money to have whatever I needed or wanted and never to go without. Yeah, I had a uh, wealthy family member. So the first book I read probably, you know, a little bit before yours was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm. you know, which uh, sort of parallels a lot of what you're saying, but it was my financial education as well and just understanding the difference between an asset, a liability, you know, mm -hmm. seeing how you know, the limit of wealth creation when you're working for somebody else in a job. And then you reflected a lot of these things back uh, in your book as well. But I remember, you know, experiencing my family member that had a lot of money and just thinking, yeah, that's the life I want. Well, why wouldn't you want a life like that? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. To that. A lot of people didn't like the idea of getting uh, a kid that wanted to get rich. I find it interesting that in today's world, and you get this all the time, it's like, you know, oh, you're rich, you must be unhappy. Oh, you're rich, you must be unhealthy. Oh, you're rich, your family must hate you or you must work. Like, you know, we're not in the world where you can do all the above. Is D, all the above, no longer an option in life? You know, can you not be a nice person, have money, keep fit, have a great family and all that stuff? Is that not possible? And I always find that real interesting, um, you know, that, that human beings have an innate desire to dislike what they haven't achieved themselves, you know, and uh, if we don't understand it, it confuses us, it turns to dislike in humans, and that's kind of a weird trait. Um, yeah, it is weird, and I'm sure there are plenty of wealthy people that are unhappy, but it's there's a lot of people that aren't wealthy that are unhappy. I, I don't see it as a proportion. You know what I see wealth as? Wealth is a magnifier. If you're a jerk and you get a lot of money, then you're a complete and utter jerk. Yeah. You know, if you're a real nice person, you get a lot of money, you become an amazingly nice person. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I just see it's a multiplier. It's kind of like there's a lot of things that are multipliers in life. Money is just happens to be one of them. Fame is another, you know, yeah. and, and you start to see what it, happens. It multiplies how you are in relationships and how you are mm -hmm. with emotions. Yeah. So the two things that, that magnifies what I read somewhere and I kind of agree with that. But yeah, I love that you said that because uh, I think oftentimes people use that as an excuse to not get wealthy or go, well, you know, money won't make you happy. Well, how about you try making money and then try being happy as well? You know, you're right. Money won't make you happy, but it buys you a big freaking yacht called happiness. You know, that's being facetious. But the basic point behind it is this. 
is that money allows you the time freedom to do the things that make you happy. And to not master money is just irresponsible, in my opinion. There's no need for someone to work to less out. It's just silly. It's just not smart. If you can understand money, you know, in the beginning, you work to learn. That's what you do in the beginning. That's school, then the first few jobs you have, apprenticeships, you're working to learn. Then you're working to build capital, okay? You're working to make money, and then your money should work for you. That's the essence of the financial journey, and I had to go through it, and everyone's got to go through that same financial journey. The question is, you know, do you, it's, it's learn, earn, return. That's basically the way money works. So, A little bit of the uh, axioms, a little brave sugar's axioms starting to come out already. You know, it's, it's interesting being married to an American, having five kids all here, and it's like whenever I land in Australia with my wife, she just looks at me and goes, what language are you speaking? Because you get very Australian and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I got to remember I'm not. It's kind of like when you go down to Alabama, you know, go down backwards Bama, it's like, okay, I got to learn a new language right here. So Yeah, totally. A lot of these uh, people watching, a lot of my clients are really impact focused. Mm. So they're not necessarily in business to become wealthy. You know, when they first get into it, they just really want to make a difference. They want to use their uh, business as a vehicle for doing good. Mm. And what I often say to them, just to parallel your point, is uh, because they'll come in and they'll say, hey, I don't want to get rich. I just want to, you know, make a difference. Mm. And I try to get them to understand that they're not mutually exclusive. The more money you have, generally the more impact you can make, the more yeah. the more resources you have to put in the business that's doing good. You agree yeah. with that? Look, the, the very basics behind it is this. The scorecard for business is profitability. What you do with the profit is totally up to you. You know, it's hard to donate a million bucks a year if you're only making 100 grand. Mm. You know, it's hard to do that. And that's where people say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to. Listen, I run the world's largest business coaching company. I've created more wealth, more jobs, more thing than almost any government out there. And, and I can debate that with any government. I create more wealth for business people and more wealth for their employees. But you think about last year, our company created some of them sent 36,000 jobs through the companies we coach adding jobs in their business. Forget the ones we saved by having companies that didn't go out of business. Now, but I, I'm still very happy to be well rewarded for that. Trust me, you know, I'm happy to be well rewarded for that. I did a ton of work for it. It's, it's not an easy thing and say, is my goal to be rich? Well, see, wealth isn't the goal. What you can do with your wealth is the goal. Uh, actually, having just wealth is not really there. You know, that's the thing. It's, it's what are you going to do with it? Uh, Joe asked the question, when you have already have all the money you need, what motivates you to keep growing and get wealthier? You know, it's an interesting question because it assumes that something external is a motivator. And in my opinion, that's not really the way motivation works. It's, it's, you're, you are, it's like... People say, oh, you always seem to be happy. What makes you so happy? Well, I am. There's no other thing. There's no, and it's like motivation. I just am a motivated person. I've tried to retire. I've tried to do less work. I've tried all that. i got five kids. Heck, i got plenty to do. But, you know, and, and that being said, I literally only work Tuesdays and Thursdays. I, I, I work Tuesdays from 9 till 3, Thursdays from 9 till 3. That's it. I don't work any more than that. I don't want to work any more than that anymore. I have nine companies that I run in 12 hours a week. I'm very happy with that. I do podcasts like yours every now and again when someone that I know, like, and respect wants me to jump on one, then fantastic. But it's not about work. It's about what you can create. You can create a whole ton in a very small amount of time if you've leveraged yourself. But that means learning, you know. And, and in the beginning, I was the guy that did I mean, when you first started reading my books, I was doing 200 seminars a year in 200 different cities. So I was on a plane every day or every other day. I was in a hotel almost every night of the year. I got to the point of, hang on, this is just burning me out. This isn't exciting. I'm not, I, you know, I'm helping a lot of people, but I'm not helping me. I was burning myself out. I was getting unhealthy. And I remember just sitting there thinking, this is stupid. I got to build a business here, not a job for myself. And that was where I wrote my definition of a business, a commercial profitable enterprise that works without me. If I have to be there, it's not a business, it's a job and I work for an idiot. So, uh, you know, when I took that on board and started building businesses rather than jobs, all of a sudden everything changed. Yeah, these are the lessons that um, you taught me that stick with me today. Like as soon as you say that, I remember reading your book and thinking, well, just sharing that, uh, something along the lines of like, you know, that quote where 
you have a business when you can leave for a year and then come back and your business is bigger and better than when you left. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, building a business with the idea to sell it. So yeah. you're uh, building so, a system, you're building yeah. a If I can flip back to that question that came up too, my goal with building Action Coach is world abundance through business re-education. My goal isn't an extra million bucks a year or an extra 10 million a year to me. It's the goal is to create world abundance. The goal is to have coaches in 120 countries. And that goal is greater than me. You know, if your goal isn't bigger than you, then you don't need a big organization to do it. Um, Someone taught me many years ago, you're only ever as big as your competition. So my competition is create abundance in the world. So I think I got to keep going. Yeah, a lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, you know, the World Bank's helping out. They're doing a whole bunch of good stuff. And I got to coach the the top execs of the World Bank and help them with stuff. And I, I think it's a lot of fun helping at that level. Yeah. And obviously, you've been in business for a long time. So you. 26 years, yeah. 26 years if you include the start of Action Coach. A lot more if you go back to the first businesses when I was 15. Yeah. So you loved business. Uh, you didn't, you know, get into business to get rich to be happy. You loved business right from the start. You know what? I, I, if I'm really blunt, I was a really bad employee. I was not good at not telling the boss they were a jerk. I was not good at uh, telling the line. I think the best thing for me was working for myself. It meant that I could actually have a good boss that I got along with. Well, not all the time, sometimes even fall with myself. You know, I've learned over the years, Nathan, if you're the CEO of the company and the owner of the company, you're doing a bad job at both of them. Um, You can't be a good owner and push the CEO to perform and vice versa. You can't be a good CEO and report to an owner that is you. You just can't, you know, you lie to yourself on both streets. So, it's, it's never going to work. That's why business coaching is so successful, I think, or why our team, or one of the reasons our team is so successful is because we make sure that the owner is held accountable to growth, not just to turn it up every day. Why did you get into coaching? Because I think, uh, you know, you kind of started with consulting and then realized that they had some limits to it. So why did you see coaching? Mm. Uh, great, great question. So when I started with it, I was doing a lot of seminars. Uh, just because people would ask me to speak. I was young and doing well in business. People said, can you come and speak for us? And so I did. And what happened was at the end of every seminar, people say, can you come and help us? Can you come and consult with us? And I was like, listen, I don't have any time. I'm running my own thing. I'm doing these seminars. What say you call me every week and I'll coach you through? After about three, four months of doing this and just having people keep coming up, asking for help, asking for help, I thought, hang on, dopey. Uh, Everyone keeps asking you to sell them something. Maybe you should invent something to sell them. You know, and that's, it's crazy business owners today that, you know, they keep, oh, no, we don't sell it here. Oh, no, we don't sell that here. Sell that here. You know, if people keep asking you for it, sell the dang thing. So I stumbled across doing coaching. And then uh, Trout and Reese wrote a great little book called 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And I remember reading it 20 some odd years ago. And, one of the mutable laws was if you can't be number one or number two in a category, invent a new category. And so that's what I did. I couldn't be the number one business consulting company in the world because, you know, Bain, McKinsey, Boston Consulting, they're a little bit larger than I was. But I could be the number one business coaching company in the world. And so that's what I built. And today, here we are, 80-odd countries, over 1,000 offices and having some fun. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible journey and I'm sure it looks uh... – you know, it looks like overnight success probably a lot of the time. <laughs> Massive up and down journey. You know, 26 years, yeah, it's overnight. There you go. Um, right. Look, buddy, every, everything's an overnight success because one night you're not and the next night you are, and that's not really, I don't know how long it takes. It's just about how long it takes in the background before you get seen for that. So, you know, this book is, you know, it's my 17th book and it's my first Wall Street Journal bestseller. Well, actually, second, buying customers was a Wall Street Journal and USA Today. So this, but this one sort of hit the number one points and all that sort of stuff. So having that level of success on book number 17, yeah, I guess it's overnight. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some people will be watching this and going, oh, Brad Sugar, I've never heard of him before. I'm seeing him for the first time. Yeah. It kind of looks to people, you know, like it's an overnight success. Uh, let's talk about uh, jobs because my brother went to one of your seminars, you know, when, mm-hmm. whenever it was back in uh, New Zealand, probably 20 years ago. And he, <laughs> I don't know why I remember this, but someone said, look, Brad, you're so tough on people that have a job. I quite 
like my job, you know, I work hard and I actually enjoy my job. Why are you beating up on people's jobs? And he said, have you ever tried going on a jet ski? <laughs> Something along those lines. You know, it's like, yeah, I tell the story of a guy that, because I always teach people about hourly rate, okay? And if you want to build wealth, if you're working for an hourly rate, you're in trouble because the goal of wealth is leverage. Do the work once, get paid forever. So, you know, why do I invest in real estate? Well, I buy a house one time, I collect rental income forever. Why do I build businesses? I build the business once so I can collect money. Why do I get new customers so I can get them once and keep them forever? You know, that's that's the whole point of leverage. Do the work once, get paid forever. So when I'm talking with people that have a job and, you know, I, I, I always joke in seminars, am I recommending that everyone that has a job quit tomorrow? And everyone says, well, no. And I say, yes, yes, I am especially if you're not learning anything. If you're working for a boss where you're not learning anything, you better quit tomorrow because that's just a waste of time. If you're not learning, the amount of money that they can pay you to work a job isn't enough to do just a job. You need to be learning so that you can be building for the next job or the next career or the next business or something along those lines. And so I, I always suggest to people, listen, at some point, whether it's your own business or a job, you've got to set a minimum hourly rate that you will be willing to accept to do a job. And if you can pay someone less than that, then you should pay them. And so I was chatting about, you know, how many of you still clean your own house or wash the car or do stupid stuff like that? And this guy says, but Brad, I enjoy mowing my lawn. I said, yes, yeah, because you don't own a yacht. You know, <laughs> if you own a yacht, you, you know, you wouldn't be out mowing the lawn if you could be on your yacht type yeah. thing. You know, and, and so I think a lot of people, buddy, when it comes to getting into business for yourself, there's a lot of fear because there's a lot of lack of knowledge. You know, a lot of people don't understand getting into business for yourself. And that's why I congratulate a lot of your listeners who are making that leap. And there are many of yours who have made the leap a long time ago and do it very, very well. And just by the way, anyone who's watching this for the first time, make sure you subscribe. Uh, go back and watch a whole bunch. Nathan's got some great interviews on here. So make sure you do yeah, that. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. I have a uh, program called the Quit to Create Accelerator that helps professionals get into business for the first time. So mm. I'm often on the phone talking with you know lawyers, doctors, pilots, mm. um, anyone in a corporate job and talking to them about transitioning into their business. But there's a ton of fear around it. There's one, you know, going from a very stable income, putting all this money into a career and then going into a business and it looks kind of ambiguous and looks kind of scary. So how do you talk people through that? How do you help people with getting over their fear or, you know, making that leap? Well, first of all, you got to understand what it looks like. What is the actual leap? If you're going to, in fact, uh, if anyone wants to, there's one of my podcasts called The Apprentice Billionaire. And there's one on there, which I did the difference between being an employee and an entrepreneur. I spent 40 minutes going over this exact subject. But what you got to understand is this. If you have the desire to go into business for yourself, the only question you have to ask is when is now a good time? Okay, because it's never, you're never going to get less desire to be in business for yourself. The desire is going to keep growing and growing and growing. And, and eventually you're going to make that leap. The challenge is the first two years of that leap, you don't know what you're doing and you're going to learn because the hardest work of being an entrepreneur is to learn. Mm. The hardest work is the actual knowledge acquisition you have to take. So prepare for your entrepreneurship first. Go and do sales training first. Go and do marketing training first. Go and do read 10 books on sales, read 10 books on marketing, read five books on finance, go and read. Does that make sense? It's like people, uh, uh, most fear is just a lack of knowledge. That's that's literally what happens. But I always go back to one thing. Uh, there's a great book by Stanley and Danko called The Millionaire Next Door. And in that book, they wrote a simple quote that uh, while 20% of the US workforce work for themselves, more than 80% of the millionaires come from that 20%. <laughs> okay. Not a, hard, not a hard, I mean, it's not a hard statistic to argue with. Let's, yeah. let's be blunt about that. Now, if money isn't your motivator, then something else is time, whatever it is. I just think that the biggest advice I give to anyone looking to get into something new is there's going to be two emotions, fear and excitement. The majority of average people let fear beat excitement every time, every time. You want to go to that next level, you got to let excitement win. Yeah. That's just the way it is. And to get into business for yourself, you will never be 100% certain. You will get to about 80% certainty and then you pull the trigger. Because you can't be certain until you've actually done it. It's like jumping out of an airplane. There is nowhere near 100% certainty this is going to be a good experience when you go jump out of an airplane. But once you hit the ground, what's the first thing you want to do? 
Hey, can we do that again? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, one of my uh, favorite authors, Gay Hendricks, he wrote The Big Leap. He's been on the show. He uh-huh. says, uh, fear is excitement without the breath. So we keep breathing, it stays as excitement, which I, I totally agree with. But I love that idea of, uh, you know, gaining knowledge. For me, I was a pilot, airline pilot for 16 years before I got into business and was reading your books, you know, from time I was 17, had a restaurant for a couple of years with my brother on the side, was just trying to learn the ropes a little bit before I jumped. But even so, when I jumped, it was still trial by fire because all of a sudden I had no boss to blame. Uh-huh. Uh to figure out how to organize my time, you know. So the first couple of years I was in business, every hour of the day I was at work all of a sudden. Uh-huh. You know, when I was out for dinner with uh, my partner. I'm still thinking about my business. I'm checking my email between courses, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, so I think as much, that, that's the 80%, right? The 80% is reading all your books uh-huh. and understanding. The 20% yeah. is figuring out how to do it once you're in it. Remember this. If we all waited till we were ready, no children would ever be born. Okay, you can't wait till you're ready. There is no such thing as ready. You know, when you talk about being a pilot, the first flight you did solo, you weren't ready. Definitely not, yeah. You know, but you had to do it because until you did it, you were never going to be ready. So, yeah, I think, I think though, that if you go back to it, there's a reason why most businesses fail, you know, and it is purely to do with money. It's not to do with a great idea. It's not to do with hard work. It's purely to do with money. Right? That's what makes a business fail. They ran out of money. So you need to understand what brings money into a business and you need to understand how that money gets invested or spent in that. That's why I always sit with any new business owner and say, explain to me your sales and marketing plan. Show me your sales and marketing plan. And most of them don't have it. They got a plan to open the store. They got this design of how the shop will look. They got their office fit out all perfect. I said, well, show me your sales and marketing plan. I don't have one. I said, well, you're going to fail. And they're like, no, I'm not. I've got the best coffee in the world. My coffee shop is perfect. They're like, you're an idiot. You're still going to fail. Because Starbucks, the best coffee in the world, but they got great marketing. McDonald's, not the best burger in the world, but great marketing. You know what I mean? That's where I, I worry about people. If you're not, if sales and marketing isn't your thing, you better start reading. Yeah, Daniel Priestley of the UK, he has a saying that a lot of entrepreneurs are ABS breaking, anything but sales. Oh. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because I actually had a conversation yesterday with someone and he said, you know, I'm no good at sales. I said, really? How many sales training courses have you been on? None. How many sales books you read? None. How many sales blogs do you subscribe to? Any podcasts you listen to on a regular basis? You ever heard of Jeffrey Gittimer on sales? No. Then you should be bad at sales. You know, it's, you can't expect to be good at something you've never trained in, you've never learned, you've never studied. I used to teach, uh, I was the coach of my kids' soccer. Now they're 16, 17, they play volleyball. But we were playing soccer, I coached their team, and one of the young kids on the team, I sent them over to learn laces kicks. I said, all right, we're kicking with the front of our foot, not the toe, not the inside, up against the fence, 100 kicks. Kid comes back to me after five kicks, says, coach, I'm no good at those. I said, great. Now go and do 95 more and tell me if you got better. I did 95 more, came back, did you get better? Yes, I got better, coach. Excellent, are you good at them yet? No, but you got better. Great, so keep getting better. And that's, that's the reality. And people think, oh, well, I'm no good at sales. I'll hire a salesperson. Okay, you're no good at sales. What questions will you ask a salesperson to establish if they're any good at sales? Yeah, you have to know the business before you delegate. You want, to be a great, you want to be a great entrepreneur, you've got to learn all aspects. Not enough to do it all, but enough to be able to recruit the right people and all. I think a lot of what you're talking about too is the, the beginner's mindset, what they call the beginner's mindset. You know, especially if you're getting into business a little bit older, you probably haven't failed at something for a while. So it feels mm-hmm. a little bit scary to be shitty at something and embarrassing right but as soon as you get over that and just start putting your hand up when you don't know something which may be 20 times a day when you're first starting out god you're going to learn so much quicker if you can just get that ego out of the way you know what it's funny people often ask me you know how was it starting a business so young i said i had such an advantage starting a business young because i was young enough and naive enough to realize i have no clue so i better learn Whereas all the people that are older than me that didn't learn and think they should know, you know, well, I've been in business 20 years. Not really. You've worked a job for 20 years. That's different to owning your own business. The psychology is different. The emotions are different. The decision-making is different. I met guys who used to cut checks for half a million dollars 
on marketing campaigns. When it comes to putting $500 into a marketing campaign for themselves, they were dying. It's like, dude, it's 500 bucks. Yeah, but it's mine. Yeah, it's it's different. I mean, you're talking about cash flow as well. That was another big thing I had to learn is money in a business is different from money in a job. Like your salary is just the money they reward you for the time. But in business, money is the blood of the business. It's the lifeblood of the business. It's Mm -hmm. not something that you take. It's not something the business feeds you with. It's something that keeps the whole machine running. Yeah, a lot of learnings around money for a lot of business people. But, you know, when, when I sat down and it was interesting because in writing this new book, uh, I sat with a buddy of mine at lunch and he says to me, you know what, Brad? It's the pulling profits, that's the one. Uh, the the 2.67 pounds, you know how I know that? Because every time we ship it, that's exactly what they tell us. It weighs. Yeah, it's 80. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, yeah it's two, 26 years worth of gold. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot of gold in them, their books. But when I wrote it, so I was sitting with a buddy of mine at lunch and he said, it just seems like magic the way like Ikea and Amazon and these companies make a lot of money. It seems like magic the way they're always growing. I said, I said you don't really believe that, do you? And he says, what do you mean? I said, you, you realize that magic is just a system, right? Magic isn't real either. And he started making jokes with me. So I wrote the book and made a joke of him by saying, pulling profits out of a hat isn't easy. You know, is isn't magic, it's but it is easy if you understand it because exponential business growth is something most people don't understand. Growing a business year on year on year on year on year and doing that consistently is something most people just don't grasp. They're doing grow plateau or grow dip, grow dip type thing. And there's many, many looking at that, but that level of growth is not something people are used to. Yeah, that's sort of how you open up the book, right? Is is talking about exponential growth. And I guess uh, just the way the human mind works is we look at everything incrementally. Mm. And probably like that wasn't our job, right? We made 100,000 last year, so we expect to make 105 the year after. If someone said to me, you know, look, I want to grow the business by 15% this year, I'd look at them and say, well, why not 15 times? Yeah. And I said, what do you mean times? I said, 15 times. What if we had to grow it 15 times? In order for you to keep your job, you have to grow this 15 times larger, 150%. And it's like, hey. And they said that, I go, I can't possibly fathom that. I said, I know, that's the whole point. The fact that you can't fathom it is the point. The fact that you don't even think that way is the point. See, when I buy businesses today, all I do is, did you ever watch uh, the movie The Founder with Ray Kroc? Yeah, brilliant movie. Yeah, great movie. Should have been called The Finder, though, because he didn't found McDonald's. He came along one day and, oh, look what I found. I just find this little business. And so what Ray Kroc did is see the McDonald brothers look at business the way the average person does. How do I sell 10% more burgers this year than I did last year? Ray Kroc walks in the same way I do with business and goes, oh, how do I put this on every street corner in the world? Like I bought a cleaning company down in Melbourne. So and brilliant business, great systems, small business in one area. And I thought I could see thousands of these across the world. So I buy the company. They think I pay too much. I think I paid way too little because I'm going to put it. So it's now going into England. Then it's coming here to the States. Okay. So expanded across Australia already. Now into England. Then I bought a company down in uh, Texas, Houston, Texas, property management company. Again, they think I'm paying way too much. How come? Because for them, it's a great little business. They see it growing 20 and 30% a year. And I see it growing. And currently we've got a contract on the table to open 2,200 offices across the United States fully funded by a group out of Silicon Valley. So, you know, yeah, I, bit, I did pay too much for that one office. So what are you looking for? What, when you're looking at those businesses, what are you looking at? Um, I'm looking for businesses the where the internet can't beat me. Um, that's first and foremost. Like, you know, I'm currently looking at a, a pest control company, you know, so come and spray your house for bucks. Well, guess what? Can't do that on the internet. So, you know, and I also like companies... I started reading your books. There was a lot of talk about like buying a, a hairdresser for 25 grand, you know, increasing the leads 10%, increasing the uh, conversions 10%, and then, you know, increasing your prices 10%, and then yeah. selling the thing for 50 grand, you know, yearly. Make sure, make sure in the show notes you put a link to uh, my five ways to grow a business that's on YouTube because uh, that's, that's that formula you were just referring to. Look, I look for that repeat business. Yeah, repeat business is a big one that I always look for. Um, I don't get into any business that doesn't have repeat business. I've done it twice in my life. One was a uh, motorhomes business, lost money on that. 
And then the other was a musical production company, lost money on that. Those two were the two that I lost money on, everything else I made money on. Why? No repeat business. Stupid, stupid. Bradley broke his own rules. It was in my own book and I still broke my own bloody rules. So that was not smart. You know, all, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm also looking for a really good management team. I invest in people. I think those TV shows like uh, Shark's Den or Dragon's Den, Shark, Shark Tank, whatever they're called, different parts of the world call them different things. I think they're the stupidest shows on business that I've seen because no investor buys an idea. An investor looks at the people, the structure, all this sort of stuff. You're not. It's why I like Marcus Lemoynis' show on CNBC where he goes in and actually buys companies but meets the human beings and says, will I invest in these people? That's a big part of what I invest in, the humans. Yeah, that's cool. I like that idea of like not being beaten by the incident. That's a cool way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, like, I love the internet. I've got plenty of business on the internet. But if I'm going to do something, I don't want to be easily beaten by the internet. I want the internet to be my winning strategy, not theirs type thing. So that's a big part of it. But, you know, in this day and age where you've gone from, so I do a lot of information business. And back in the day, I had infomercials on TV. Today, you've got click funnels on the internet. And instead of being on one TV channel to this tiny target audience, I'm now on a click funnel that goes to the entire world. So that's the other thing. I always look at businesses I can take global. And for me, I'm great at franchising and licensing. So I'm always looking for franchisable or licensable concepts. That's good stuff. Very good stuff. In the book, you had a very different definition of success than what I liked. You know, you said like success is not just about profits. Profits is kind of the scorecard, but you had a different definition of success. Can you explain a little bit about that and what you meant by that? Well, there's multiple stakeholders to success factor of a business. And when you look at the success factor of a business, saying that money is the only factor of success is, is missing the point. Employee satisfaction is a measure of success in business because if you don't have employees who love coming to work, you're losing employees, therefore you're losing profitability. Your community is, is a stakeholder in the business because the community needs to be a part of the success of the business because it provides the employees, it provides the customers, you know, it, it, you need all of these things to be a part of it. So there's actually five stakeholders we work towards in the company, the owners, the suppliers, all of them working together. And each of them has a different win from the company. Several of them are financial wins, but there's a lot of esoteric wins. And in this day and age, you can't just have employees like one of the, there's five core disciplines that we teach in the book of success of a business and mission is one of those. And mission really for me is about the word love, okay? And, and to use the word love in business, people think I'm very weird. But the reality of it is if your customers don't love buying from you, if they don't love it, if they don't go, wow, I love buying here, then you're missing a point. If your staff don't love coming to work and turning up early and going home late and enjoying life, then again, you're missing part of the point. You're missing what business is about. How do you get that human connection in a business? I actually just finished filming and it just got put up on my Facebook page, an entire 10-chapter video book with Marshall Goldsmith, Richard Maloney and Mark Thompson, some of the experts on employee engagement in the world. So if anyone wants that, jump on my Facebook page. You'll see all 10 chapters. They're all by LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn. They're all on LinkedIn yeah, as well. Those are great shows, great free content. You know, it's phenomenal. We, Marshall and myself are two, and Mark, who definitely, we're two big believers in just give away all the knowledge. You know, if they're going to use it, they're going to come to you for help, but they can get all the knowledge. It's like, you know, I, I put into my books uh, the information that we teach in our high-level courses, and people are like, wow, you put all of this into the books. I said, Absolutely. You know, people are going to come and use me if they think we're valuable, not if they think I'm holding stuff back from them. That's just crazy. So, yeah, mission... One of the cores, and that's not about what's up on the wall or what the writing is, it's about the core essence of the company and what's the culture and what's that document. And we documented the culture for me at Action Coach many moons ago. It's on our website, actioncoach.com, if anyone ever wants to see it. But I documented the culture because I wanted it to be easy to employ and recruit because I, I find that it's, you know, I remember as a kid saying to my dad, Dad, I can't just get good people. And he looked me dead in the eye and he says, Brad, you get the people you deserve you're an average manager running an average business. Highest caliber employee you're going to get is average. And I was like, thanks, Dad. And you can see where I got my motivational streak from, can't you? Um, <laughs> well, you know, that, direct, uh, that direct Aussie. 
<laughs> yeah, very, very direct, very dry Australian Australian male. So, but the, the point behind it is that, you know, as a CEO, my number one job is recruiting. You know, that's it. I'm the chairman of most of my companies. My job is to recruit a great CEO and put them in. When you're a CEO, one of your biggest, most important jobs is recruiting. If you're recruiting badly, then your company will grow bad because another one of the five disciplines is people. How you recruit, hire, train, manage, mentor, lead your humans will be a major difference between a company that is massively successful and a company that's not. Recruiting today is different to what it was before. Recruiting is not about finding people who are out of a job. Recruiting is about convincing people that already have a job working for your competitors to come work for you. You Recruiting is about finding the best of the best of the best. Mm -hmm. It's not about running a health wanted ad. It's a totally different way of doing recruiting today. And you've got to be proactive about that. You know, if I was in, let's say I got a locksmith business, then I need to be on LinkedIn connected to every locksmith in the city and keeping, you know, communication with them and be proactive about building my thing rather than reactive. Let's just get back one step back to mission because uh, mm. for the majority of my clients and the people that are starting businesses, they want to start a, a business to make a difference. And what I call, you know, becoming an impact mm-hmm. And my definition of that is if you're just starting out a business is how do you create a business that's around your gifts, around your genius and using mm-hmm. what you properly in your business? And then how do you set it up with a mission that moves you or a mission that's really important to you? For me, like I have a mission to bring a thousand impactful entrepreneurs into the world. Mm. And this is something very close to me, but it's not about just having a mission that maybe gives to charity, right? Or donates to charity, gives 10% of the profits. You said it best where the way you have your culture whether it's your people or your team or whether it's your customers, they can be part of your mission because you have an opportunity to impact 10, mm-hmm. 100, 1,000 people every day through your business. Just your employees. Think about that. If, if it doesn't impact your employees. I always say the vision of a company has to inspire and enroll, has to inspire people, not motivate, but inspire people. They've got to want to be better because they're a part of that mission. They've got to want to be a better human being or feel like they're a better human being by being a part of having a job with you. And the second, it has to enroll. It has to have people want to join you. When I sat down with Action Coach and wrote the vision of world abundance through business re-education, a lot of people thought, hey, that's a little weird. But guess what? There's a bunch of people out there that have joined me over the years that said, hey, I think I want to help with that. Yeah, I totally get it. I think it's a great mission. Mm. Uh, how do you take through, if you're an entrepreneur, so a lot of times I'll work through a business that is going well, they've got a good idea, but it's not really attached to a mission. What's the process you use to help a business, you know, think about something a little bit bigger than just profits? Well, I think the first thing you've got to understand is that none of your employees care about your profits. None of them do. Just, you know, wow, I'm excited to go to work today just to make Nathan get a bigger yacht. That'd be great. Fantastic. You know, no, they don't care about that. First mission I give to every business owner that I coach is a very simple one. To be the very best, whatever business in whatever area, start there. Just to be the very best. Just start with that. Forget anything else. Start with I want to be the very best landscaping business in Las Vegas. Great. As you get better at it, you'll find something that suits you personally as you get clearer on it. But if you start with being the very best, at least you start to attract the very best employees, the very best customers, the very best suppliers, the very best of everything. You know, and if you start with that in mind, then the rest will fall into place. Yeah, I love that. And then the next step, if you want to create more of an impact in the world, or if you want to make a difference, mm-hmm. how do you help a founder find that? Well, you, you've got to decide how your business will impact the market. You know, where does your business bring joy to someone? Where does it bring help? Where does it bring assistance? Where does it bring something? You know, or how can it? And sometimes it's not just because of the thing. Like you look at Tom's shoes, you know, here we are with Tom's shoes. And literally it's like, well, how do we give, you know what? Let's just charge people twice as much so that we can afford to give one or charge them 20% more so we can afford to give a pair of shoes away. Yeah. Um, you know, a good buddy of mine, uh, one of my early mentors, Paul Dunn, started a charity out of Singapore, Buy One, Give One, where companies can give away a, a meal or a th- you know, micro-giving, basically. And you start sitting there and look at it, you know, I think you've got to decide what is it that you're passionate about in your life. And that's where sometimes business should serve life rather than life-serving business. So I think that's one of the great things about growing up in Australia was that there was an understanding of 
life should come first and business should come second. You, you build a business so that you have more life, not the other way around. When I landed in America, I started to realize, hang on, there's not a lot of people who get this here. More yeah. and more today, but not a lot when I first got here. And I think that, you know, as you sit down and start to realize what you're passionate about, think about what will inspire people, what will enroll people and go to work. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, for me, it's that Bombas socks, right? They give one pair to homeless people every time you buy a pair. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, like the market has changed too, because I noticed I was looking at a product today, I can't remember what it was, but I was kind of, as I was scrolling through the website, I was looking for, you know, what do they give? What's their commitment? Is it sustainable? Yeah. You know, it's like, that, that's a real key part of my buying decision now. But not just yours. You know, the, the, the conscious buying is becoming higher and higher and higher and higher. You know, there's... You, you go into places and you start looking at, you know, oh, you've still got plastic straws. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You know? it's, it's an interesting uh, cultural thing, isn't it? You know, it's, but that's the way the world works. And to say that it starts, it, I mean, it, it, most of those things start in California and New York. That's the centers of the majority of future thinking. It just really is for our planet, you know, and people don't quite see that. I, I see the level of leadership that comes out of those two states for 20 years later, everything that starts in California, 20 years later, people are, oh, marijuana's legal. Don't worry about it. You'll get it in 20 years too. It's you know, it's, yeah. it's coming. What? Everyone has to have electric cars. Don't worry about it. You'll get it soon. You know, and, and then, you know, how fast it moves to other countries and things is different. But, yeah, the mission is one of the five core disciplines. Without it, I don't see a business succeeding in this day and age. Uh, we touched on a little bit before, but uh, you know, I was sort of a personal coach before I started working with entrepreneurs. So I'm a big fan of self-discovery, self-awareness, oh. personal development. And for me, business has <laughs> almost nothing. Maybe a relationship will grow you quicker, but if you're open to it, but business will force you to personally grow more than anything. And I'm just keen to hear your your view on that and maybe some personal experience as well. The first thing you learn in business is everything you don't know. Yeah. Everything you don't know is going to show up and cause you pain, havoc, and headache in the business. So get very close to it. You know, it's, that's what's going to happen. You know, you, I was lucky that I was not a good employee when I was young because I got jobs in sales and had to learn sales. I got jobs in marketing, had to learn marketing, finance, had to learn finance, that sort of thing. You know, so I had to learn all these things at some point. Look, the moment you stop learning, the business stops growing. A business can only grow to your level of incompetence. The moment you run out of ideas or run out of knowledge base, business stops growing. It just does. It can't grow anymore. And it doesn't matter how good you think hiring people is, you've still got to keep growing because if you're not growing, you're not challenging your people. Yeah. Another tough lesson for a lot of people to learn. Uh, Here's a rude question for you. As Brad is getting old, when is the time to slow up business-wise? And when is the time? These people want to know when you're going to give up and stop trying to make money. Uh, look, uh, I think that I'm pretty sure that working two days a week is is about right for me right now. And we take a few months off each summer and take a month off at Christmas. So I think I'm I think I'm doing all right on the, on regards to lifestyle. But you know, you also got to be a good money manager. You got to show respect to money. So if you're not managing your finances well, then you're not showing money a good level of respect. Therefore. You know, you're not setting a good example with money. I mean, I, I always jokingly say to people, but it's very, very true. If you can't be good with a small amount of money, what makes you think the universe will ever bless you with a large amount of money to manage? Totally. You know, and so I, I, I see a vast majority of my role today is managing investments. A vast majority of my role today is managing the businesses that we have invested in. Um, taking care of our, our wealth, fa- our family's wealth business that invests in real estate and shares and stuff and just managing those sorts of things. You know, my real estate people do a very good job of buying and taking care of our portfolio. Share-wise, we got some great investment analysis guys that do a great job that I trust and they manage that portfolio for me and my family. And, you know, I think that you, you got to remember that the first half of money is make money. Yeah. Okay, that's your first job. Learn how to make money. Your so second part is to learn how to make more. Yeah. I mean, but once you learn how to make, then you've got to add learning how to manage. Mm. And they're almost across purposes because making is trading time for money and building it up and doing all that sort of stuff. And then managing it is making money make money. 
So it's a balancing act. Read, read that book, The Wealth Coach, everybody. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, because I'm at the stage where my business is still new, so I'm investing all of my money mm. back into the business and back into the marketing machine and everything. So, yeah, my managed money probably will come a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> one of our uh, regular followers, she just said her connection's a little bit bad, but she loved two key words that she heard from Brad, inspire and enroll. Brad, the book Pulling Profits, we've talked about mm-hmm. it quite a bit on the show, but who's it for? Who would you recommend grab a copy of it? Uh, entrepreneurs and executives. Entrepreneurs and executives. Um, you know, I got executives with large fortunes, five hundreds that have bought it for all of their executive team because they wanted the whole team. But the brand new startup better read it so they don't make all the mistakes. That's what it, yeah. it's like. Manifest. No, read it first so that you can not make all of those errors. So I think that's an important part of balancing it up. But. Yeah, it's for everyone. It's, it's yeah. you know, we, everyone that wants to be successful in business, I'll put it that way. Yeah, it's a, it's a manifesto for business success. Mm. 27 odd years of knowledge in there. Yeah, 390 something pages. It's, it's bigger. 2.87 pounds. Yeah, 2.67. <laughs> uh, Brad, thanks for coming on the show. The last question that we ask everybody is, is it your opportunity to be a little bit vulnerable with us because I think it's easy to jump on a podcast and show how successful you are and talk about all the wins and you've shared a couple of the, you know the business mistakes you've made but in terms of personally you know do you have a dark side like do you have something you still have to watch out for that can sort of sneak up on you it's funny I'm literally going to see my counsel this afternoon my wife and I were caught in Route 91 at the Harvest Music Festival here in Vegas and post-traumatic stress disorder still comes up and you know, we, you'll be watching a movie and you'll hear gunfire and goddamn if I don't hit panic modes again and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, every there's no human being I've ever met that doesn't have some sort of stuff they got to deal with. And, uh, you know, the, the more people you lead, the more you got to deal with. And so, you know, for me, I lead not only my teams and my companies, but I've also lead it to a lot of other business owners out there. And so I got to keep working on my stuff. Yeah, that, so. that's a cool message. I know, like you said, you sort of worked too hard when you were younger. You know, that, that can sort of be the dark side of entrepreneurship as well as this kind of hustle culture and sort of overworking. Um, make sure you go and watch. I did a little video the other day called Hustle and Grind is the New Stupid. So nice. a basic point behind it is this. If you have to hustle 18, 20 hours a day to start your business, then there's something wrong with your business model. Yeah. If you can't be building it in eight to 10 hours a day and doing a good job of it, then there's something wrong with your business model. So always remember that. Uh, this, this whole hustle and grind thing is driving me nuts. You oh, see man, all these, this, this all these internet. VCs and trying to get investors to kind of bail you out of your bad business model. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all these people saying you got to do this hustle and grind thing. I just want to yeah. let them along. So, yeah. Look, everyone, chat with me on Facebook or Thanks, Insta or wherever you find me. I'm out there on all of them, bradsugars.com. Not on Pinterest, though. I'm not really a crafty kind of guy. It's, that's my kid's art behind me over there. So, you know. <laughs> Need to put some uh, pictures of Hamilton Island up on Pinterest. Uh, yes, my, my, my house on Hamo is a wonderful place to go. Hey, Brad, thanks for giving me your time. I mean, I know it's uh, you're tremendously busy and this is incredible, valuable, valuable time. So thanks for spending it with us. Most welcome, Nathan. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, really appreciate it. Don't forget, go and leave a review on Apple iTunes. And uh, for the best review, I'll send you a copy of Pulling Profits Out of a Hat, Brad's newest book, 2.67 pounds of it will be coming your way. And uh, as always, uh, like this, share it around, tag any of your friends. It's been a phenomenal conversation with Brad and a ton of uh, value in here. So uh, yeah, let people know if you got something from it. Thanks, guys. I'll be back uh, next week with episode number 84. That was The Nathan Seward Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life.